Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and Rory McPherson, Head of Investment Strategy at Sigma Investment Management. Equity markets are what look like high levels at a time when there are several challenges on the horizon. So if you want to mitigate any potential downside and keep your portfolio on track over the longer term, diversification is essential. There are a number of steps you can take to achieve this, but one immediate and maybe simple solution to this is to add multi-asset funds to your portfolio. Dave, you've been assessing the merits of these kinds of funds. So first of all, how can they help to mitigate your portfolio's downside? Hi, Leonora. Yeah, as you said, it's uh, that keyword diversification. Recently, we've had issues with traditional assets, um, equities and bonds, both looking very highly valued. There are concerns there. So if you can, you want to keep those exposures, perhaps, but also look further afield. Uh, multi-asset funds now have a very broad scope to go elsewhere if they wish. So in things like property or all sorts of different assets, in theory, that should spread your risk and perhaps you'll hold something there that will um, do well when other things, you know, when the next crisis comes, when uh, equities, for example, come off. So do they have any other uses in a portfolio? Yeah. um, I mean, I think, yeah, the downside mitigation is an obvious uh, thing people will consider them for. You could use them in various different ways within your portfolio. Um, If you're a fairly new investor or if you just want to keep things a bit simpler, you could use um, a multi-asset fund as a kind of core holding. And then you can, you know, add bits and bobs around that kind of satellite holdings to uh, to express more specific views. Also, a very popular area that we obviously talk about a lot is income. Um, multi-asset funds can be a really good source of income because um, you have that diversification. And with income, as with growth, you have the same issues. A lot of asset classes look vulnerable, so they can find income in other places. And this is related, but quite an interesting other use is just to find more esoteric and kind of niche exposures. So things like um, real assets, infrastructure, you, you might find that as single asset funds aren't offering you exactly what you want. There are some multi-asset funds that can kind of reach even further and perhaps offer you something more more attractive. Okay, so many purposes, but um, mm. are there any downsides to holding multi-asset funds? Definitely, yeah. I mean, particularly for our listeners, you know, people who will often build their own portfolios, you you do need to be careful because if you're already investing in other funds, if you already like certain equity funds, for example, um, and then you introduce a multi-asset fund, you're at risk of essentially doubling up your exposures. And you're also just complicating things in your portfolio if you're not careful because of that, because you might be replicating those those investments. Um, and there are also other issues um, multi-asset funds can be, they're not always, but they can be a reasonable amount more expensive than your single asset funds because what they're doing is more complicated. They're focusing on a you know broad range of assets. They're doing more research, for example. Um, so yeah, you need to consider these things when you're you know thinking of bringing in multi-assets. What can you do to mitigate some of these um, potential problems? It just comes down to knowing what you're investing in and monitoring that as well. With multi-asset funds, you need to be aware of kind of what you're looking for and whether that aligns with your view. But also, as I mentioned, there's that duplication 
risk. So you need to look closely at um, where your multi-asset fund and where your other funds are investing. And if you can, maybe try and reduce some of that uh, replication. Um, and you, you can do this through things like fact sheets and commentaries, although you also have to caveat that with, for example, fact sheets, there are limits to what's disclosed. So you might not have an absolute 100% visibility of what's in uh, in the multi-asset fund. If you feel the benefits of multi-asset funds outweigh the disadvantages, what funds could you consider adding for some of these purposes? Yeah, loads of options now. I mean, it's a very big, mm. uh, big universe of funds. Um, so one example um, on the income front, I mean, there are loads of funds available there now. Um, but one interesting one is uh, Premier Multi-Asset Distribution. So that tends to run a yield of something like 4.5%, uh, which is quite attractive um, in the current environment. And, you know, they use mainstream assets, they use equities, they use bonds, they use some uh, quite well-known funds there. But also they're um, going into more esoteric, interesting areas, like, for example, P2P lending. Um, so you've got that diversification and... Um, kind of other benefits that come with those um, kind of newer asset classes. I guess for another example is I was talking about esoteric assets. So one option you can go for would be Architas Diversified Real Assets. And that's been cited as one example where you're potentially getting exposure to kind of more interesting, harder to access real assets than you, you could get elsewhere. Okay, some uh, interesting ideas. And um, if you want to see uh, Dave's other multi-asset fund suggestions, do have a look at this week's big theme. Uh, Rory, do you think that um, multi-asset funds are a good way to mitigate potential downside in a portfolio? Yeah, well, firstly, hi, Leonora. Thanks for having me along. Broadly, yes. I mean, I think it's hard to generalise these things, but I think multi-asset funds are a sensible way of mitigating downside and particularly for those of your listeners that are biased to um, stock investments in particular in, in particularly sort of UK stocks um, so they can give you sort of easy quick diversification and quite a neat way of building resilience into portfolios and I guess I'd make the point that as a basic rule of thumb for a stock investor you'll maybe looking at about 30 stocks to get a kind of what we'd what we'd call a diversified portfolio um, and that's assuming that you don't have any biases yourself. So, you know, to branch out away from stocks into other asset classes, like Dave mentions, then yeah, multi-asset funds can, can play, a, play a good role there. Okay. Um, if people don't want to use multi-asset funds for whatever reasons, I mean, how else would you suggest investors mitigate downside? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few ways. I mean, I think uh, an obvious one is picking funds that are positioned in the opposite way to equity markets. So a couple of examples there would be things like the OD Odyssey Fund run by Tim Bond and the Jupiter Absolute Return Fund run by James Clooney. So if you take those two, you've got the first one where Tim is very bearish and takes a deeply negative view on the world, which means he's short US equities and particularly the growth stocks. And that can mean that, say, a year like this year when equity markets are doing famously well, he's going to lag something like this time last year, if you remember, it's a really difficult time for markets. His fund was up about 25% in the fourth quarter. So that's that's a sort of punchy thing to take. The Jupiter Absolute Return Fund is a lower octane version of that, but it still tends to do well when equity markets sell off. So that would be, they'd be examples on the fund side. 
Um, maybe other asset classes that you could consider would be things like gold or gold mining stocks. So gold tends to do well um, when you have increased uncertainty or indeed sort of negative real rates. And that's something which has become more of a factor this year when you've had bond yields dropping to new record lows and inflation, while not high, um, certainly higher than bond yields. So that so that makes um, gold a little bit more attractive. So gold very underowned, coming back into vogue a little bit, but provides some downside protection and some diversifications. Other things would be um, sort of option strategies or, or, or volatility strategies that, that can be bought through ETFs. Now, we wouldn't recommend these. I think they're very difficult to time and they can actually bleed you whilst you wait for the payoff. Um, or just owning boring predictable bond funds or indeed cash um which you know can, can be a useful way to have some dry powder to get back into markets when they become more choppy okay um i suppose turning back to multi-asset funds i mean other than downside mitigation i mean how can they be really useful or reasonably useful in um investors portfolios i think the the, the biggest use really is providing a an easy call for an investor to work around you know most multi-asset funds will set out to deliver a pretty clear objection objective be it inflation plus you know x percent three or four um or cash plus a a certain level um so then you can as an investor you've got that sort of sleep at night part of the portfolio covered and you can focus on the bits that you may enjoy more like picking the um interesting stocks that are going to deliver you the deliver you the high returns um but albeit with higher risk Okay. Now, um, Dave flagged a number of potential problems you could face if you do introduce multi-asset funds to your portfolio. So, um, I mean, would you agree with that or what would you say are the main disadvantages of having these things in your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Dave hit the nail on the head. Um, and the big disadvantage, or the obvious advantage, is the lack of transparency. So it's wonderful that they're accessing these different asset classes that you may not have a such a good gauge on yourself because they're a bit different so if it's alternative credit or different types of real assets these sorts of things that's all good and it gives you that smooth return profile but not having the transparency and knowing exactly what they're doing um can be something which is a which is different for for investors so it's something that i would urge any investor to keep on top of because it's going to be um, more impactful how a multi-asset fund changes asset allocation than in a traditional equity fund where they might be selling, you know, British American tobacco for, infer- for imperial, imperial brands, for instance. Um, in a multi-asset fund, they can be swinging the back quite quite aggressively between these different asset classes. So the risk profile can change. So I would say, you know, read the fact sheets as, as Dave suggests, but also, you know, monitoring performance on a daily basis is a good gauge for um, to, to ascertain how they're doing. And then, you know, do some work beforehand, like look at the correlation to equity markets, bond markets and how they perform versus peers. Okay, thank you, Rory. Some really helpful points there. Now, one of the many uses of multi-asset funds, as Dave mentioned, is to generate income. However, if you prefer to make your own selections of higher yielding single asset funds, one of the areas you, you should almost definitely consider is fixed income, a.k.a. bonds. The problem is many bonds now have negative or low yields. So, Rory, if you're looking for a decent income from bonds, what areas should you consider? 
Yeah, I mean, I think just you make the point about negative yielding debt or low yielding debt, and it is staggering the amount of debt out there that's negative yielding. So we peaked out at $17 trillion of negative yielding debt in early September. We're down to a sort of mere $14.5 trillion <laughs> now. So, you know, it's 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 totally changed the landscape for investing in bond markets because yields are so low. So I guess, you know, the the key point I would make in terms of looking for yield is be realistic. Um and don't kind of try and grab for too much yield. In terms of what sort of yields are on offer, um, you know, we would say that you can get good quality investments with reasonably low risk for, with yields of between 2 and 5%. And to sort of march through the various parts of the bond markets in terms of what yields you might get from government debt at the moment, you might get a yield of about 0.5%, so extremely low. From investment grade debt, which is the next tier up, maybe about 2%. And then high yield debt about sort of five percent or so, and similar for emerging market debt. And then index linked debt actually gives you a negative yield of about two and a half percent at the moment in terms of in, in terms of real yield. Okay, I mean I have to say the yields on the emerging markets debt and the high yield bonds five percent. I mean that sounds really attractive, but are there any drawbacks to investing in these kinds of bonds? Yeah, I mean they they come with more default risk in, in investing in, in in those types of bonds. Um, so that, that that's the, that's the big risk there is that you know if you think that as you kind of alluded to at the, at the top of the top of the show equity markets doing particularly well and maybe we're getting towards the end of the cycle these things are going to be a bit more choppy so so that's that's the risk you take there I mean our approach to it and we can talk about some of the some of the ways we implement it through, through funds if you would like um, is to keep the maturity of the debt very short so that sort of wobble factor between getting our coupon and the, the, the loan maturing is very short. Okay, so um, what what sort of funds and areas would you um, use for this? So the funds that we like, we like the um, Alliance Strategic Bond Fund, which is run by Mike Riddell. And that's a pretty defensive fund, and he's able to alter his exposure to duration or the, the length of of, of of the debt, and that's going to impact his return quite substantially. So that's so that's a, a a good defensive fund that we like. It yields about two percent, and then other funds that we like, which tend to be very short dated, are funds run by say twenty four asset management, for instance. Um, so things like the corporate bond fund that they run, which yields about two and a half percent, and again is reasonably short dated, and then shorter still things like the monument bond fund or the dynamic bond fund that, that your that your listeners will be able to access. Um, these are very short dated and will yield a, a little bit more. Some of these funds you mentioned are strategic bond funds. Um, I mean, what kind of investors are strategic bond funds suitable for, and and what proportion of their portfolios could they ca- account for? Um, I mean, I said proportion is going to be driven by mm. how cautious an investor is. So, for kind of mid-range, um, you know, risk-seeking investors, we would say about sort of up to about forty percent in these types of bond funds. And I guess, you know, the the Mike Riddell fund is going to do well when people think that the end of, mm. end of the world is coming and he, and, and, he, and he can express that view by taking quite bearish positions. The other funds, the 24 funds, are going to be, you know, to be blunt, quite boring and predictable. And, you know, if you're comfortable with returns in the, of the order of sort of 2 to 5%, those are the sorts of funds that are going to do well by just clipping that um, coupon, that income, yeah, and, and be a good complement to equities. Okay. Now, 
all the funds you mentioned are actually active funds. So does that mean it's better to get exposure to bonds via active rather than passive funds? Yeah, we would say definitely yes. You know, we're not one of these houses that's blindly active and is always going to um, favour active management. But investing in bonds passively to us makes absolutely no sense at the moment. It's actually quite a risky way of, of, of doing it. And just to kind of give the context behind that, essentially what you've got now with passive investments is one on the corporate side, they're skewed to the most indebted company. So that's you know um, not a great starting point. But the fundamental objection that we have to um, investing passively in fixed income is you've now got a bad trade-off between getting very low yield and very long-dated debt. And that means that when you want your fixed income to be boring and predictable, it's anything but in that it's now a very choppy experience that you get. So the term of of, of the debt you're buying is very long dated. That doesn't mean you're locked in for, let's say, 11 and a half years in terms of, in, 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 in the case of a UK guilt fund. You can buy and sell it whenever you want, but the price is going to be swung massively by what's happening in the guilt markets, and it's not going to give you a stable, dependable yield day in, day out. So, you know, you think of this year, You've got the UK gilts up about 10%, which is obviously a very big number for what should be a um, quite a quiet, boring investment. And, you know, say yesterday, 10th of October, you had this, these assets selling off by 1% are selling off again today. So um, the point is they can be very choppy. So that's why we, we would err uh, away from passive um, in fixed income. Okay. I mean, of any other areas um, in which you think it's a bad idea to get exposure by passive funds, certainly at the moment? I mean, I think generally over the last 10 years, you've had a huge skew in passive investments towards fixed income funds be- becoming more risky and equity markets. So if you think of, say, if you're going to buy a global passive investment, say a global ETF, it's now dominated by the sorts of stocks that have done well by the same fact that's made bond prices go up, which is falling bond yields. So that means that they're they're skewed towards growth stocks in particularly, in particular these very sort of um, long-duration assets that, that reinvest all cash flows, which means you get a lot of exposure to things like the US market, which is now 65% of the, of the global index, and technology. So we would say, you know, uh, away from passive in fixed income and um, not have it as a, as a sort of global developed building block there are certain certainly areas within the markets where passive does still make sense to us but those would be the two no-nos okay and what areas would you be happy to get exposure uh, to via passives yeah i mean i suppose and maybe it's, it's slightly controversial one that we do like is the uk equity market and the other would be gold mining stocks so the uk equity market is you know clearly screamingly good value um and it's up there with japan as being the cheapest amongst developed markets um why we like it as a passive investment at the moment is because you know the bits that are really really good value we don't think is that you're going to realize the value until you get get some um some kind of finalization on the brexit negotiations or or, or some kind of um, resolution there but fundamentally the market is very under owned so the UK is only about 5.5% now of the global stock market. So that means asset allocators don't need to own it. So we think that the money will flow back into the large cap sort of um, index stocks before it, before it moves um, out into sort of wider reaching areas of the value parts of the market. So that's one. The other would be gold mining stocks. 
Um, simply we think that they're very under-owned and it's a, it's a nice, relatively cheap way to get exposure to that and provides protection to portfolios. Okay, and um, is there anything that would make you change your view on either of these areas and switch your exposure to active funds? I mean, I think definitely in the case of the UK, um, if we were to see a, a resolution to Brexit, which you know c- could happen pretty quickly, and you saw money flow back into the market, and of course investors have been net sellers of the, of the UK for, for a good while now, then that would provide a good platform for some of the sort of smaller, mid-sized companies to start to, to, to really outperform the larger caps. But we think the big money flow would come back into the, into the passives or the big caps, or blue chips first. Okay, thank you, Rory, some uh, really useful suggestions. That brings us to the end of today's show, but also have a look at this week's Investors Chronicle or the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for Dave's full report on the many uses of multi-asset funds, more bond fund suggestions and other funds that could help you to generate an income. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.